Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Unscholared Health Podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Sviathan, and today we're going to ruffle a few more feathers. So in our last episode, we actually discussed coffee and mycotoxins, but most people latched on to the topic of coffee. And we discussed, really, coffee through the lens of nutritional epidemiology, and that raised some questions from our listeners. And so we had a follow-up today on tea. No, we won't only be discussing tea, but we'll be using it to highlight some other topics as well in complementary health. Now, following through from the last episode, this is a disclaimer. We will be discussing nutritional epidemiology again, only because tea is such a good example to highlight that conversation over. It will not be the main theme. To some of you listeners who asked me, hey, Last episode, are you alluding to so-and-so? Yes, and congratulations for figuring it out. Most people won't, but that's all right. Coffee was just a gimmick to a bigger topic. But back to tea. So when discussing tea, we were asked, you know, what are the differences between the different types of tea, what they're good for, and in relation to coffee? Another disclaimer, we won't be necessarily discussing caffeine today. Now, some people have a debate between what beverage better suits them in the morning. That's understandable. When it comes to caffeine, okay, a cup of coffee on average will have similar to the same amount of caffeine as a cup of black tea. So you're not going to have a large difference there. One's not going to help wake you up faster than the other. This being said, we've discussed before how caffeine can be a mild diuretic. So you may hear narrative and rhetoric saying caffeine is dehydrating. This is stated because it has a mild diuretic effect, so you are more likely to go to the washroom after having enough caffeine. It's not to say it will completely dehydrate you. Really what's dehydrating to most patients and individuals is the overconsumption of caffeine without any intake of water. So for those of you who are looking to understand more of the contradictions on caffeine, really it's a discussion on caffeine versus total water intake, not just that caffeine is dehydrating. So let's not label caffeine as a dehydrator. Causes a small, mild, diuretic effect. So that means it makes you pee, okay? But the larger issue at hand is your water intake and that's actually the whole point of i believe it was our first episode episode one it's titled a simple truth but i recommend you go back and listen to that because it actually highlights all the uh, cases of water and what water does for you so for those of you tuning in hoping to see what tea will give you a better boost of energy versus your coffee and you're crashing too often that is actually a discussion on your total daily water intake and none of these teas will help you with that so some of the facts with the teas, you know, when, when we, this, this podcast, we call it Unscholared Health because we thought it was a witty title, but really it's like a attempted correctness. It's just trying to display the correct information as feasibly possible as we can and not, you know, postpone to you or display for you any lies or a sales pitch. We just want to give as factual information as we can, when we can. When guests come in, I let them speak freely on their own opinions and findings in their experience. But when it's just me here, I'm going to try and be as correct as possible for you. So I'm not pushing you any which way. So it's important to highlight nutritional epidemiology. So we discussed 
on the last episode how epidemiology is a very observational science. There are some other key factors there to note, but it's an observational science. And when it comes to the area of nutrition and kind of this new field of holistic dietary health and holistic nutrition, some are wonderful, but some really put too much emphasis on a lack of data and make prescriptions or recommendations based on that. Really, these are all just recommendations because certain healthcare practitioners are not and they can't prescribe you things. So the best they can do is offer a recommendation based on whatever evidence they can find, which is usually observational or theoretical in nature without being tested. Where they tried to make these decisions from is correlating this more, not so much evidence-based information, but observational-based information and ideas, and somehow trying to complement it to their understanding of human physiology to help you out. We always promote a healthy lifestyle that goes without question, but so when asking me to explain the benefits of different type of teas, I have to tell you now, I'm going to list the proposed benefits of different types of teas, but you must understand that that does not necessarily mean it is in any way factual or true. It is just some type of theory or finding based on observation. Now, some of the things I will tell you when it comes to certain teas, I won't actually name which ones. You have to understand in North America, there's a special rule. And this is something I know from my experience, particularly running and working in health retail and supplement retail and health food stores. So what's interesting in North America is that if something has been traditionally used for any one reason, so I'm going to just say one out loud. I said I wasn't going to say, but I will. For example, chamomile tea. People take chamomile tea for sleep and relaxation. There have been a plethora of studies, which is very rare. Very rarely will anyone ever uptake a study to make sure what uh, something is marketed as is true. But for chamomile tea, they did plenty of studies and found it has nothing to do with relaxation or sleep. But because chamomile tea has been used for more than the length of 100 years for that purpose, you can openly sell it and market it as such. So that's another thing to note with sometimes these topics that you display for me to answer to you. Some of these quote unquote items, be it a tea or a pill or a herb, some of them are great. I'm not doubting that. Some of them really do what they do, but that's more of a discussion than we need to bring with, uh, for example, a naturopathic doctor or even a physician, believe it or not. Many of these are areas I know from my nutrition background, but you have to understand when you see certain items marketed at you, it doesn't necessarily mean it does that subjective or objective thing, but it was traditionally used for that for a certain length of time and thus they can sell it to you for that reason. So you can go into a health food store or even a pharmacy. Now that pharmacies are carrying more and more alternative supplements and teas and even the pharmacist can go, yeah, this helps with sleep under the basis that it was traditionally used for sleep, even though we see it does nothing to help with sleep, I can sell it and recommend it to you for sleep. And this becomes a larger issue because now you have genuine people who are looking for genuine answers or help. And it's kind of based on a placebo effect for the fact that it was used because at one point in time, people thought it helped with that without further research. Okay, that's all this disclaimers out of the way. That, that, that whole topic could be an episode on its own, people.
and I think we're like eight minutes in, so let's get to teas. When discussing tea, first you need to understand that there is true tea and not true tea. What do you mean by that? So many herbal teas, okay, that aren't actually tea leaves, they just get kind of plugged into the category of tea for ease because you're steeping it the way you would tea leaves. But they're not considered true tea. True teas, so let's think of black, white, and green teas, generally come from the exact same type of plant, okay? So, for example, the label of true teas are namely black teas, green teas, white teas, um, oolong, and uh, puree. Those are the true teas, and they all come from a plant called Camellia sinensis. So this is the plant that actually kind of qualifies itself as a true tea. Now you have other tea-like beverages that I mentioned that are not from this plant, but they get categorized as tea. So when you add in herbal tea into the mix, then there's a lot more variations. Um, so black teas, that's probably the one we're all most aware of. So the plant leaves, you know how it's done. They're crushed and then dried, and then this is how it's sold. But the reason why black tea now has a stronger, more robust flavor is because this isn't done until the tea leaves are fully oxidized. So I want you to think of the tea leaf for black tea, this Camellia sinensis. Basically, you allow it to fully mature. And only once it's fully matured is it labeled as a black tea. So I'm going to make this clear for everyone. Black teas, white teas, and green teas for most parts, not, I'm not saying because there are sometimes variations, but for the most part, it's actually the same plant, just picked at different times of its growth. Black tea has many variations, and that has nothing to do with the tea leaf itself, but the blend. So you have like Earl Grey, if for any of you who've watched Star Trek, uh, I think it's Star Trek Next Generations, Captain Picard drinks a lot of Earl Grey. That's just black tea then flavored with bergamot oil and or citrus. So we're not going to talk about the variations today, if that's what you were looking for. Just know that uh, Earl Grey, um, English breakfast, Irish breakfast, uh, Kenyan black tea, Lapsang Shuchong, uh, Union black tea, Masala chai, this is all black tea. It's all the same tea, then just additives are put in to help flavor it a certain way. So there's actually no differences between these. So when we have the tea leaf that's fully mature, we qualify that as black tea. And now observationally, though there is a little more evidence-based research on black tea actually, it is recommended. So I want you to understand that it's recommended. We're not making a full certain claim here, but it is recommended to support heart health and support the body's protection against oxidative stress which we've actually discussed before. We've discussed about free radicals and uh, what happens with damaging free radicals when left unchecked. I believe that was discussed in the last podcast, so you will see some similarities. But black tea, in essence, will help with heart health and protect against oxidative stress. These are mostly maybes, but this is what we can most supportively claim at this point. So if you're looking for something to help with your heart and your skin, <laughs> you know, then you might want to look at black teas, regardless of the blend. The next, a popular one, what I'd mostly drink is green tea. 
So green tea, again, coming from the same plant as black tea, is when the leaves are more fresh or just slightly withered. So this is an earlier step in the process, an earlier stage of growth for the Camellia sensus plant. These are then steeped the same way. When, when done earlier at this stage, the preparation stops oxidation from occurring in the green tea flavors profile. So this is now why green tea has a much lighter, fresher taste than black tea, where black tea has gone through more oxidative stress. It is more robust. Green tea has not, and therefore is lighter and may have still that kind of grassy taste many people are aware of. That's green tea. Now, there are many blends of green tea as well. This, again, is usually from some kind of additive or the way they roasted or cooked the tea leaf. A popular one in green tea is matcha tea. This is more of a Japanese-style tea. And it's very popular and used for weight loss. Um, this is, uh, again, a bit more of a specific type of tea leaf, though from the same family, that has a, more of a bittersweet flavor. Another one is Sencha green tea, which is also Japanese. This one's a little more savory and grassy, um, but can carry scents of melon or pine. I'm not sure if these are added in, though. But again, you have other forms of green tea or blends um, that is usually dependent on the area the camellia plant is grown in. And so the soil has different additives that help with the plant. But okay, so green tea is an earlier stage of the same plant as black tea. Black tea is just a later stage of the same plant. What are some proposed, proposed <laughs> benefits of green tea? So green tea is still a true tea like um, black tea. And what some evidence shows, some of it is partially studied. M much of the research I had to look for green tea actually came from out east, which makes sense. They would, they would take more claims and spend more time researching something that's so crucial into their dietary culture. Um, some of it, again, is observationally based, so it's not the sole proponent. There might be other factors in play from these groups that they observed drinking green tea that come into effect. But green tea, um, uh, this in this part of it's mostly from the caffeine content, can help with mental alertness, which really should have been included in black tea earlier. Also, as with black tea, can support heart health. Um, also with black tea, helps support the protection against oxidative stress. All, um, supports brain health and green tea uh, is actually helped to support fasting. Interesting thing about green tea, there's a lot of claims coming out from the East stating how it's actually hydrating. So regardless of the caffeine intake, we spoke earlier how coffee has caffeine and it's a mild diuretic that can partially dehydrate you. They think green tea for some reason, and so I need to look into more of it further, they find the diuretic effect isn't as drastic in green tea. So this may be because it's a fresher tea leaf, though the caffeine content is roughly the same or as strong. They find it um, it's more hydrating and therefore useful in a fast, especially if you drink it black. Not green teas, black tea, but drinking it without any added cream or sugar or, or lemon or anything like that. So we've discussed black tea, we've discussed green tea. I think then I should go right into white tea preferably. So white tea is actually created from the new buds of young leaves of the camellia plant. Okay, so if you think of black tea leaves as adults, green tea leaves, 
are like the teenagers of the same plant. It's when the leaves are in its teenage stage. And white tea is when they're just brand new newborns. So white tea, again, is the new buds and the very young leaves of the camellia plant. And this is why they find that when they harvest it, the buds and leaves are, they have to be steamed or fried to stop oxidization. Because of course, when you pick anything, uh, you're going, it's going through a process now. It's going through processing. Um, white teas are usually lighter in flavor and sometimes fruity. And this is because of the buds. So they haven't matured very much yet. So nutritionally, you would think they would be more impactful too. Because we see that in other food groups at earlier stages, they're a little too ripe, but there's actually a lot of benefit to it. Um, white tea is considered to have lower caffeine. This makes sense because white tea, again, the same type of plant as black tea and green tea, but you, it's picked so early that it hasn't fully matured and you don't get as much caffeine content versus some of the other benefits out of it. Again, white tea has some blends of its own or rare types of buds, depending on where it's grown. The benefits of white tea um, one of them, which we've already discussed for green and black tea, it has antioxidant properties, so it helps against oxidative stress and free radicals. So this is common between all the black, between black, green, and white tea. Now, white tea may help support the response to inflammation. The key word here is may. So we can't really confirm it, but verse, based on observations and whatever ways they perform these studies versus the green, and the black tea, it can help with inflammation. Um, what else was it? Now, this is more traditional use, but white tea is supposed to be used actually for dental health checks because uh, they find the buds actually contain fluoride and tannins. I think there's something else I can't think of at the moment, but it actually has fluoride, which is meant, to, which is actually known to support uh, the strength of teeth uh, and uh, the other, uh, the other micronutrients that they found within the, the young buds of white tea are meant to help manage plaque buildup as well within the mouth. White tea also is shown to help support brain health. So if we're just going off these maybe studies, this this more observational understanding between black, green, and white tea, then we have to agree that white and green tea outweigh black tea. Though black tea has some of the benefits of green and white tea, both green and white tea have more support to help with brain health and they seem to be more hydrating versus dehydrating as black tea. That to note, um, if you're trying to find a tea for pain management, I think there are better methods, but then in this case you would want to go with white tea, whether or not it can be confirmed as truly helpful they have observed that it actually may support the body's response to inflammation if we're talking about inflammatory pain and not degenerative pain, which can be a different topic for another day. So those are our true teas. Now, there are two other ones categorized in true tea. Um, one of them is oolong tea, which you may have seen, or black dragon tea. That sounds cool. It's semi-oxidized and always produced as a whole leaf tea. So... Really, it's kind of in between our green and black tea, if I'm recalling correctly, in terms of maturation. Oolong tea always seems to have more of a crisp finish, 
as well and it is darker in color that is because it's more oxidized such as the black tea the benefits they find in oolong tea is that it is successful in brain health heart health and again may help with uh, free radicals and oxidative stress oolong tea is commented a lot for containing egcg but that's present also in green tea as well so we kind of have an in-between tea here where it has less benefits again through observation than white tea or green tea but still more than the black tea so if we kind of ranked these at this moment it would be white tea in first place green tea in second place oolong tea in third place black tea in fourth place the last one's pure tea this is more of a fermented tea and tends to be more expensive because it's fermented and from what I was researching for you guys, in the East, there seems to be more of a fan club around this type of tea. It has almost like a cult following, so this raises the price up, actually. Um, but it's also derived from the leaves and stems of the Camellia sinensis plant. And it's, I believe, one of the issues with it, though, is that it originates from a very specific province in China, and therefore it raises up the price as well. Um, the flavor, and I've never had it, actually can vary depending on how long the tea's been aged. So one is young raw puree tea, and this has some characteristics of green tea. A more aged version of this tea is darker than its raw counterpart and can be very woodsy in flavor. And then when you when you pick this tea leaf very ripe and then ferment it, uh, the results are more creamy almost. And what are the benefits of this tea? So like the other ones, it helps with heart health. It helps with antioxidant properties. So I'm, I'm trying to say oxidative stress again. Um, it's more noted for mental alertness due to its caffeine intake. So it, it seems to have a higher take up in caffeine and it can help support healthy skin. So I think this would go third after white and green tea again. So now those are our true teas, if you were wondering. So what's our takeaway from that? They're all the same plant, but picked at different times. And now regionally, there can be small variances in flavor and possibly caffeine um, intake available in the tea leaves. But all in all, it comes down to the time and what rate of age the tea leaf has gone through before being picked. Caffeine intake varies not too much between the teas and coffee. So if you're looking for something that's proposing better mental clarity, supporting your heart, and still gives you uh, uh, aid from oxidative stress, then any of these will be beneficial. If you're looking for a little more, then the green tea and the white tea promote more mental clarity and brain health than the other teas. And white tea specifically may support inflammation. Now let's go into some of the non-true teas or herbal teas. So one is chamomile tea. It, it may support calmness and healthier sleep habits, and it may support digestion. This is one that hasn't been looked into as thoroughly, but I already mentioned at the beginning of the episode that chamomile tea was relatively shown to not help 
in cases of sleep, but because it was traditionally sold for that reason and used for so long for that reason, it's marketed as such. So this is where some of these teas I'm about to finish with, you have to not take them too seriously. There are certain ones I do drink. For example, the next one is ginger tea, which I'll discuss, but you just have to remember some of this is based on observation and some of these proposed facts that these teas help with are based on more marketing and not factual findings. It's more based on just, hey, it's been used for this reason for many generations. So we're just going to sell it as such. So that's chamomile tea. The next one is ginger tea. Uh, ginger tea is a root, much like turmeric and cardamom. And uh, I, I drink ginger tea a lot, actually. Ginger tea, uh, I was I, I used to take it for nausea. I used to get carsick a lot and I was given ginger tea uh, growing up. Now, there actually is a little more evidence that ginger can help with this, or at least evidence in the base that we, we see some kind of resultant with nausea. Ginger tea seems to help. Many people take it for uh, responses to inflammation and responses to indigestion. Though I couldn't find as valuable evidence for this, uh, I think we've all kind of culturally, east or west, have been given ginger for cases of indigestion. Uh, we're here in Canada, Ontario, and everyone likes ginger ale for that reason too. So that's a ginger tea. The next one you hear commonly hibiscus tea, which is actually derived from the hibiscus plant. Uh, this plant is native to North, and, North Africa and Southeast Asia. And the benefits are one, through micronutrients, it is actually very, very high in antioxidants. So this might be the benefit of why you want hibiscus tea if you want more antioxidants in your diet. Maybe you're not eating enough berries in your diet, so you're going for the tea. And it's sold and marketed for the reasons of helping with healthy cholesterol management, which there's actually some interesting studies on, and helping support liver health. I, when I was a nutritionist, used to recommend hibiscus tea a lot. Um, you can question the, the research a little bit, but if you're someone who's concerned with blood pressure and cholesterol, this is kind of the tea that markets to you a little more, okay? Uh, so let's say ginger tea, inflammation and digestion, hibiscus tea, uh, let's go towards more heart health to keep it standard and uh, relatable. And then for the chamomile tea, regardless of what I said, that's the tea you're looking for if you're trying something for relaxation, okay? Uh, mint tea is a popular one as well, coming from peppermint. Um, it's used in many herbal infusions. And what are the benefits of mint tea? So most of us know mint tea may support with digestion and help make your your abdomen feel better. You know, if you have you have stomach pains, you drink mint tea. They've actually done animal studies on this. Whether or not you support this, I don't necessarily support it. I find it a little odd, but you know, there, there are some inhabitants of our world in the animal kingdom that make graze on mint when available. And so they see that it helps the digestive system by relaxing it and it helps ease spasms in the gut. So that is something we can relate to. So if you're someone with digestion issues, maybe this one's more for you over the mint, uh, over the ginger tea and over the chamomile tea, just because there seems to be a bit more backing for this and it's caffeine free. So they like to claim mint has a natural energizing effect. Cool. I think this is part of an association with freshness. 
and a cool environment. People seem to be a little more stimulated, actually. And so Mint might allude to that. But what we can see relationally is that it can help relax digestion. And we can do another episode on digestion as a whole another time. Then there's a Ruboy tea or Roy, Royboy's tea. It's also a caffeine-free tea, which uh, is also quite uh, heavy in antioxidants, like the hibiscus tea. Um, also used to support heart health and used in marketing for strong teeth and bones. It's the one you take for your joints. Um, they, they, um, they do this because it contains fluoride, which we discussed earlier with one of the true teas. And that is all I can think of at the moment. I mean, really, in the category of teas, everything can be a tea nowadays. If you go, <laughs> if you go to your health food store, just walk down the tea aisle, and you, you will have a whole aisle dedicated to this. So we have to remember first, it's categorized into true and not true teas. So our true teas are our black tea, our green tea, our white tea, our oolong tea and our puree tea. So those are true teas with caffeine. Many of the herbal teas I noted are the more popular ones, and you can go back and listen. Basically, they have varying effects based on traditional medicine. So they've been used for more than 100 years for that reason and are sold for that. The ones that contain a little more evidence do. It really depends what's your reason for tea. And just know that when you're researching teas, for that reason, much of the research is based that it was traditionally used for that. So it's not to dissuade you shouldn't try it then, but then it might be more of kind of this cultural placebo effect than anything else. And that's the world of nutritional epidemiology and traditional medicine in the marketplace in North America. I'm your host, Stefan Sviatan, guys. That's all I got for you today. Take care, stay tuned, and we'll talk soon. Thank you.